Cowboy fans, I am uh, I'm feeling for you today. Uh, the Tuesday after Week Zero Saturday matchup versus Illinois, I thought they were going to put on a better performance than that. I didn't think Illinois was going to be as um, structured, I think is maybe the word I'm looking for, as they were, because that was a dominant performance from Illinois. Uh, 27 for 37 from Tommy DeVito, 194 yards, didn't blow anybody out of the water necessarily, but two touchdowns. Uh, didn't turn the ball over at all. I mean, it was a good game from him. First game as well with Illinois as he transferred it over from Syracuse. But I get, think the more alarming thing from the Cowboys was their rush defense. Gave up Chase uh, Chase Brown for Illinois. Uh, they The Cowboys gave up 19 carries for 151 yards, almost eight yards as an average, eight yards per carry, and two touchdowns. And then Reggie loved the third. He had three carries for 46 yards for 15, uh, 15 yards per carry and a touchdown as well. I mean, there's a lot of guys on here that had a decent amount of runs. Josh McCray got eight carries. He had 33 yards, four yards per per carry. Not, you know, not nothing that explodes off the page there, but 260 yards on the ground is what the Cowboys gave up. And then offensively, boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Um, I didn't, I you know, I, I came in given what we knew with the transfer portal and what had happened to them. If you listen to my, if you listen to my, Friday halftime report for the Bronx game. I talked about uh, something called TARP, which is transferring assets, returning production. It's kind of a, it's a system that is used to understand the returning production and what you're kind of losing through the transfer portal, if that makes sense, as well as you know leaving assets, uh, as well as returning production, obviously. And they were one of the worst teams in terms of rankings when it comes to their TARP rating. Um, I think they were in the bottom ten, if I remember correctly. The Cowboys were. And uh, I figured it wasn't going to be great in terms of the production they're going to be putting out on offense, but that was real bad. I mean, that was as bad of an offensive performance I think I've ever seen the Cowboys put up, to be honest with you. Andrew Peasley, the quarterback, the transfer quarterback that came in from Utah State, uh, 5 for 20, 30 yards for a 1.5 average and one interception, a 16.2 QBR. That is, uh, I went back from each year. From 2022, I guess 2021, down to 2003, because that's as far as I could basically go. And Andrew Peasley's 30 yards at the quarterback position through the air is the lowest I could find uh, in the history, not in the history, in the past, whatever, 20 years of the Cowboy football program. So that was embarrassing. Titus Swin, he had 17 yard, or 17 carries for 98 yards of 5.8 average. That's you know not bad. He was basically their only offensive production, so they could basically key in on him. After a while, Andrew Peasley looked like, looked like he was lost out there for a while. Um, Andrew Pease, he, I mean, he also ran for 76 yards as well, but you know, we're not running the triple option here. That was basically scrambles and stuff like that. QB design runs were helpful, but zero touchdowns on any part of the offense. They didn't score once. They mustered two field goals to make it 38 to six uh, to end the ball game. Uh, Illinois covered easily. I believe it was a 14 point spread when the lines closed and obviously Illinois covered easily. They nearly broke the over by themselves. I believe the over-under was 42 and uh, 38 points. They almost broke the over by themselves, but 38-6 was good enough to cover the over as well. So, disappointing. Uh, these were two teams that I think were kind of, of I think I, I think I talked about this a little bit last week, but they were kind of in the same boat, if that makes sense. They were uh, similar offenses, and that's in the sense that they like to run the ball more often than they like to pass the ball. Uh, Tommy DeVito, though, looks like a better quarterback, obviously, than Andrew Peasley, um, even though Tommy DeVito, he didn't have the best game in the world 
uh, under center for Illinois, but he at least looked more comfortable. He did have two touchdowns, didn't turn the ball over at all. So, you know, he was throwing the ball downfield as well with confidence. But the Illinois, you know, rushing attack was also very dominant. Like I said, 151 yards for Chase Brown on 19 carries. That's an eight-yard average for two touchdowns. I mean, they were dominant on the line of scrimmage. So, I mean, it was just kind of, like I said, it was more surprising, to be honest. I didn't think they were going to win this game. I didn't think the Cowboys were going to win this game by any means. I thought they would at least cover. I thought they would put on a better performance than that. Um, but man, the defense was very, very concerning just in terms of the, uh, one, the tackling issues that they had, the tackling was bad pretty much the entire game. Chase Brown was able to break, break, uh, break tackles all game long behind or at the running back position, not to end as well as kind of the dysfunction that we got to see out of the actual, um, defense pretty much. Um, you know, they, they didn't have, it didn't look like they were as, and then, you know, that was kind of expected just because of how much they were losing on the defensive side of the ball as well. But they were, I mean, they were, it looked like they were running off of confusion for most of the game. A lot of people, you know, people were not in the right spots. And it, anytime you turned around, anytime the ball was thrown by Tommy DeVito or whatever, it looked like it was going to an open man, regardless of where it was. So yeah, just say, I don't know what to expect out of this Cowboys team after, you know, I thought, I think six wins, was probably a fair assessment. I think that would have been a good sitting, a good standing point for this team. But after watching that, now of course they can always improve and stuff. I don't think Andrew Peasley is going to throw for five completions and thirty yards every game. The hope should be that that's going to be his worst performance. And it probably, I mean, if it's if it's not his worst performance, then they got a bigger problem on their hands. But the thought should be that that's going to be his worst performance of the year going forward. He should be better. But if that's your starting point, if you're the Wyoming Cowboys, you have a long way to go to play against. I mean, that, like I said, that's arguably the hardest team they're going to face all year other than uh, they go on the road to take on BYU in late September. That's going to be a hard game. Uh, Air Force is going to be a very hard game, even though they're at home or the Cowboys are at home for that game. Um, but that's still going to be a very difficult game, especially, especially on the defense that we just watched. Um, if they're getting carved up by Chase, uh, Chase Daniels, excuse me, Chase Brown uh, of Illinois, for 151 yards on an offense that does like to run the ball. Air Force only runs the ball. So they have to kind of figure that out before uh, Air Force comes to town on September 16th, or or that is going to be a real problem trying to stop the Air Force Falcons because that's all they do is run the ball. They run triple option just like every other Armed Forces team. Um, and if they can't figure out how to stop the run against that team, then they're going to have a big problem. And Air Force is a good team. It's not the fact, it's not that they, you know, it's not that they just play on the idea that nobody really sees the triple option anymore this year. Air Force is a solid team. They had a lot of returning starters this year, so they're going to be very good on both sides of the ball, not just offensively either. So we'll see what happens in that game as well. But again, at BYU as well, that I don't have a lot of confidence in. So Air Force at BYU, uh, even this Tulsa game that's coming up, it's hard to have confidence in that. I, I can't imagine a huge week one, a week two turnaround after what we just saw. They are coming home, which should give them some sort of advantage. I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, but given what we just saw, I don't know how much the offense can actually produce in order to keep up with a team like Tulsa. Um, but I, I can see them. I can see the Cowboys beating San Jose State. Sure, uh, New Mexico. They should probably beat. Sure, Hawaii. That team's kind of a mess just in terms of uh, their actual program. So I can see them beating Hawaii at Colorado State's a hard game. Boise State. I don't have much hope there. And then Fresno State, I don't have much hope there either. Um, so 
So I can honestly see the Pokes winning four games, maybe less this season, if that's the product that we see. Now, again, like I said, I'm not saying they're not going to get any better, but even an improvement from what they are, what is the absolute maximum improvement of the team that we just saw? I don't know how much better it's going to actually get throughout the season as the season goes on. It's hard to really say, again, after week one, am I overreacting from week one? Absolutely. Just because of what I saw was pretty bad. That is as bad of a week one loss, I think, the Cowboys, and a lot of Cowboys fans, I think, would agree with me, as bad of a Cowboys loss week one as I think we've ever seen um, from this team. Because that was, I mean, nothing was working. Defensively, offensively, it's it's easily the worst offensive performance I think the Cowboys have had in recent memory, period, cut and dry. Um, Because they just couldn't get anything. They didn't score. They didn't score touchdown. They only had two field goals. um, And their passing game was abysmal, like I said. So, I don't know. I think, Cowboy fans, if you're hopeful for another bowl, I mean, I think after that game, maybe temper the expectations a little bit. I'm sure they can pull out a surprise win here and there, obviously. But uh, they have a lot of growing pains to have to do if that's... uh, if that's the starting point from that game, they have a lot of way, a long, long ways to go um, if they're looking to compete with the other teams in this conference, like the Boise States or the Air Forces or the Utah States and so on and so forth. And then on the road in BYU and towards the end of September, that's kind of the goal. At least be towards the end of September. It's basically a full month since their loss in Illinois to on the road in BYU. So I guess the goal at this point should be, of course, every week it's different, you know, win the game that you have this week. But I think by the time you go on the road at BYU, at least be a full, a full team better than you were against Illinois. Put up a, you know, put up at least a a competition against BYU. BYU is going to be a better team for sure than this Illinois team that they just lost to. But at least show that you have improved since that matchup with Illinois, because, you know, your matchup with North Colorado, Northern Colorado, you're not going to get a lot there. That's on the 10th uh, versus Tulsa. Obviously, this should be another kind of, but again, how much growth are you going to get from week one to week two after what we just saw? Who knows? Um, but I think a full month out, I think you can kind of grasp what direction they're heading after this week, first week one loss. Um, and I think at BYU will be a good, uh, a good observational point in terms of reflection from where they were from week one to a month later. So that's the Cowboys. Uh, That was a head scratcher. Uh, Disappointing. I'm not necessarily a huge Cowboys fan. I'm not, you know, I'll pay attention to them um, because they're the regional team. You know, they're the local team. And that one, that one was a head scratcher, even for the Cowboys. The Cowboys have had some head scratching losses in the past. I, you know, I did not expect them to win or anything like that in that game, but I thought maybe they'd at least keep it close but, um, you know, goes to show how wrong I was in that one. Um, another thing I want to talk about, which is interesting because this happened a lot in this Illinois game. Um, they, on both sides of the ball, the Cowboys team should not be getting gassed by a team like Illinois, period. They should not be getting outran by a team like Illinois, no matter what. I mean, they should not be getting outran by a team like that because of the advantage that they have at home and where they're playing and practicing most every, uh, basically every day out of the year. Um, they're practicing there on, you know, you're going your, your Friday trip, your Thursday trip or whatever it is to go to an away game or what have you Hawaii. They might leave a week early just because of how long of a trip that actually is. Um, but you should not, because of the advantage that you have with your altitude, 
at the University of Wyoming. And this is a problem that I've had with the offense for the University of Wyoming ever since Craig Bull showed up and he kind of changed the way that they were going to do things. I've never understood why you're not implementing a high-flying, super-fast offense at the University of Wyoming. It's harder, obviously, because you're not going to pull in the amount of recruits that you're going to get. But, I mean, look at teams like SMU who just had, you know, Tanner Mordecai, who was a transfer portal, a transfer from the transfer portal from Oklahoma. Somebody else's, uh, you know, another man's trash is another man's treasure, per se. And that's what happened with SMU. And they had one of the more higher powered, high powered offenses in the league or in the country last year. And I don't understand why the Cowboys of all people, if you can get a team that is running at that altitude, 80 plays a game, 78 plays a game or something like that, you will gas every other team that comes to play at War Memorial Stadium. No, you can't simulate playing at the altitude of 7,220 feet. It's the highest stadium in, in terms of altitude in the country. There is no other stadium that comes close. I mean, Air Force comes a little close. I think they're like 50 feet away or something like that. But of course, they're going to be used to the altitude. You play them once a year as well. So it's not like you're going to be able to beat them in that sense. That's a team that you'll have to at least evenly match with. Every other team you're playing, you're at least... A thousand feet higher than them for the most part. I mean, there's a couple outliers, obviously, but most of the time, especially even in your conference, San Jose State, you should run out of War Memorial Stadium just because of the altitude. San Jose State plays basically at zero at sea level, and they're coming up to War Memorial Stadium. They should not be able to stand with you. If you're running 79 to 80 plays a game, they will not be able to stand with you at, at 7,220 feet. Strictly because that's not how the human body works. If you're from San Jose or wherever on the, on, the, on the coast, Hawaii or anything like that, they should not be able to run with a team that is running at 7,220 feet. If you're running that many plays, a perfect example, Wake Forest. They're not a coastal or you know, they're not playing at elevation or anything like that. Just last year, they were the leading team at running plays per game, and they had one of the best seasons in their program's history. Of course, you have to have decent quarterback play, but that's also that's also a, a hit on their recruiting processes and stuff like that. If, but if Andrew Peasley is the guy that you're choosing to run this offense as the quarterback, that's the best option we have. And no offense to Andrew Peasley. I understand it's just one game. I'm hoping, you know, he kind of breaks out. I would love to be wrong in this, in this scenario. But if that is the week one product that you have that you're sending out there, that is the best we have after, you know, training camp and all that jazz. Summer camp, you know, you know, summer drills and all that stuff, fall camp, you know, what have you. If that is the best product that we are going to put on the field, then we have bigger. I'd say the the Cowboys have bigger problems on their hands um, in terms of recruiting, in terms of getting people from the transfer portal over. This is a team that should use their altitude to their biggest advantage. Josh Allen, when he was here, that team should have won nine games, even though he wasn't, you know, I, he was not the best quarterback. I'll give you that. I also think that was partially on coaching coaching as well because we saw what he turned into, the jump from the NCAA to the NFL. Granted, his first year in the NFL was not that easy, but or was not that great, but the jump from the NCAA to the NFL should not be as easy as Josh Allen made it look after that first year. That first year was not good, granted, but that second year all the way to now should not look as good as he does, which means as, as good as he has which makes me think that Wyoming, you know, was kind of wasting the talent that they had at that point in order to, you know, run a more run-heavy offense, which 
whatever, even though the, the world is, you know, the world of college football has changed drastically in that sense. Nobody really runs the offense that Wyoming runs and is successful, I'd say, or as successful as the Cowboys would look to be um, and runs the offense that they run other than, you know, Air Force. But Air Force, they have a reason that they do it. Air Force doesn't recruit. You know, they don't. Re- I mean, you know, depending on how you look at it, they don't recruit football players, I guess is what I should say. Uh, they recruit armed forces people, you know what I mean? People that want to go into the Air Force and then they build a football team out of the people that they have in their in their program there to learn to be part of the Air Force. You know, they're not recruiting football players. That's not what they do. The players that are on, you know, Air Force or on Navy or an Army or whatever, they're not going to the NFL draft or anything like that. They're there to serve the country and they're just going to play football in the meantime until they graduate and go and be a serviceman, whatever. That is a completely different situation than Wyoming where you're getting people from recruiting for football or transfer portal for football. It's a completely different scenario. Teams don't run that way anymore. Teams have not run that way and they're not great. You, you should have a balanced attack. I'm not going to argue. I'm not arguing against that. You should have a balanced attack, but look at even like the, the Heisman candidates in the past five to 10 years where it's basically only been quarterbacks besides two or three running backs. Why do you think that is? It's because offenses are so devoted to that quarterback position, to developing around a decent quarterback or developing their quarterback to be decent, to create an offense around them that is more high flying, more pass production, you know, and, and relying more on the pass throughout the season. And, you know, as the season goes on and and like I said, you should have a balanced attack. I'm not arguing against that at all, but you shouldn't make it the only thing That is your attack, as we saw from the Illinois game. That is the only thing that the Cowboys had, even though it still wasn't going. They could basically load eight in the box and dare the Cowboys to throw the football, and it didn't look like it it wasn't going to work regardless. So they would either run with Titus Swin or Andrew Peasley was going to end up running out of the, uh, or throwing the ball incomplete or running out of the pocket and trying to gain yards that way. So, I don't know. To me, the, the Cowboys need a complete philosophy change in the way that they're developing how they run how they play offensively I guess it would be my goal in mind I think that they should be one of the faster teams in the NCAA if they want to have success the way they're looking to have success Craig Bowles one of the highest paid coach or he is the highest paid coach in the Mountain West the highest paid coach in the Mountain West and I think as the highest paid coach in the Mountain West you got to have something more uh, innovative than what we saw on Saturday. We got You need to see something more innovative and more at least disrupt, uh, disruptive to a team like Illinois, who is one of the bottom feeders in the Big Ten. They're not a great Big Ten team compared to the rest of the Big Ten that they're sitting with. At least this past year, they're one of the you know one of the lower ranked teams in the Big Ten. They didn't make a bowl last season. Um, they should at least be able to compete against a team like Illinois, not necessarily win every time they're going on out of conference or anything like that. I'm not saying that by any means. I don't expect the Cowboys, even with an innovative high-flying offense that you know we all dream of, I don't see them competing for a national title or anything like that just because of also you know the conference that they play in. It doesn't really help them by in that, in that sense or in their non-conference schedule, to be honest with you. It doesn't help them in that sense either. But I think they should at least be competing for conference championship games they should be in and out of the conference championship like utah state like boise state with the amount of money that is dumped into that program um they should be better than what they are personally and yes i'm overreacting to one game i get it 
I understand they were seven and six last year. They made a bowl game, but I want them to be better than that. You know what I mean? Like they had Josh Allen, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, who made the jump from the NCAA to the NFL make look relatively easy other than that first year, which makes me think that they are wasting talent on that side of the ball. It doesn't, you know, it just, it, they should be better than what they are. A high flying, high powered offense at the elevation that they are at 7,220 feet. They should run teams like San Jose state, Illinois. I mean, even Illinois, even though they weren't on the I mean, Cowboys were on the road, but I'm just using them as an example. Tulsa, they should run those teams out of War Memorial Stadium. You should have those teams gasping for air because you have that as an advantage. You are practicing in the highest point of any college football program in the country. That should be an advantage, and it doesn't feel like they're using it as an advantage. I think just this last year they were running, I want to say it was 65 plays per game. I just looked at it. I don't have it in front of me. But they run some of the lowest numbers of plays per game in the entire country, bottom 20 in the country. They're not using the one thing that was given to them that will not change as an advantage. doesn't make any sense to me. I think they should have more trend. They should transition more into a, a pass heavy, high flying offense that is built around speed and speed only. I mean, of course you want your line and stuff to have speed, but have your running backs, your wide receivers go and recruit guys that are fast. Your Tyree kill. You're not going to find a Tyree kill. I'm just using him as an example. Your your light, your speed, your track guys and put them out wide and see how much better that team is going to be. If you find a decent quarterback that hate those guys in the open, because teams like San Jose State or whatever, Hawaii, Boise State, that don't practice at that altitude, you're going to gas them by the second half, and your guys are still going to be able to at least play in that altitude because they are used to it. Used to it. They practice in every single day of every single week up until game day or the day before game day if they're going on the road. It just it frustrates me because they have that advantage there, and they just don't seem to want to use it, I guess, or have the ability to use it. They don't want to innovate the offense enough to want to use that advantage in their favor. So that's just something that I've noticed um, recently. It's just frustrating. It's head scratching. It's there. I mean, the, the, the golden, the golden key in my opinion is there. It is right there staring at you in the face, but for whatever reason, whether it be uh, the talent acquisition that they get, the recruiting or whatever, the talent that they have around them in terms of, you know, who they th- think they can kind of believe in doesn't seem to be there in in the coach's eyes or whatever. Um, I just wish they would use that to their advantage more than they are actually using. That was my biggest frustration out of that game because they shouldn't be getting gassed by a team like Illinois. Who's just running up and down the field against that team. Um, with the advantage the Cowboys have with, they're basically practicing on a mountain compared to Illinois. That should be an advantage to them, but you know, it's game one. We'll see what happens with Tulsa when they uh, they come to War Memorial Stadium. We'll see what happens there. I don't have a lot of faith in that game either. Tulsa, I don't know what their returning production looks like or anything like that. They were one of the better passing offenses just this past year, um, and they held with, I mean, Cincinnati this past year as well, which was very impressive. Now, again, that was last year. Could be a completely different team from Tulsa, so we'll see what happens. Um, that's a kickoff at 1.30. We'll have that one live for you as well. That's on Saturday, um, kickoff at 1.30, like I said, and we'll have a noon pregame for you on 1410 AM at 106.9 FM KWYO. And speaking of that, it is week one in the college football world. That was technically 
week zero, if you will, because that's the the term that everybody's throwing around that the Cowboys were playing. That was week zero. So not week one. Now we're into week one. Saturday, I guess technically Thursday, starts week one of the college football season. A couple good matchups on Thursday. You've got, you know, Penn State at Purdue, an early conference game to start the season with Penn State and Purdue. Penn State's on the road taking on Purdue. West Virginia taking on Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh still ranked relatively. I mean, they're 17th. They're not ranked relatively high, but still ranked. Um, even with Kenny Pickett gone, we'll see how good that offense is. I believe they lost their offensive coordinator to Nebraska as well, which, by the way, if we want to talk about games that were very disappointing, Nebraska, woof, woof. I mean, at least they showed some sort of their their offense looked a little bit better in terms of what we've seen in the past few years. Casey Thompson is a decent quarterback. He comes from Texas. But man, that's a tough loss to Northwestern. Northwestern also looks like they'll be better than last year. It's an even year. It's an even year for Northwestern. They play very good for whatever reason and even years. Um, and they look like they're going to be better. But that's a bad loss from Nebraska. And notch that one. I think I, I think the the stat that was being thrown around all over the place was uh, Scott Frost in Nebraska is now, I believe, oh, in like twenty three in one possession games or something like that. Something absurd. It's over 20 now. I know that for sure. Oh, and 20 something over in one, uh, in one possession games. That is a terrible stat, a dreadful stat for Scott Frost and Nebraska. Um, if I'm Nebraska at this point, I mean, that's, I, I wouldn't say that's the nail in the coffin because it is week one. Um, but at this point, I, I can't imagine the athletic director for, is uh, for Nebraska is not looking at least in different directions for the possibility of getting another coach. I cannot imagine that's not happening because that has been more or less an unmitigated disaster disaster for Nebraska. That is a very, very, very prideful program with a very big history of strong history, national championships through Tom Osborne. Um, and you know, it, it's just a very good program in the, in the past and they kind of, they deserve better. Nebraska fans are some of the best fans in the world when it comes to you know, visiting teams and stuff like that. They're a great group of fans and they deserve better than what they're getting from um, Scott Frost and that team, to be honest with you. So like I said, not necessarily the nail in the coffin. I don't think, I think it has started the clock. If that makes sense, if that, if that metaphor makes sense, I think uh, his seat is getting only going to progressively get hotter unless he beats like Ohio state or something like that. But then even if he beats Ohio state, that's kind of, it feels like at this point that's people are looking at as sort of a, uh, flash in the pan. I don't think it's going to matter. Even if he does beat a team like Ohio state, I don't even know if they play Ohio state this year. I think they do. Um, but if they beat, you know, a ranked team like that, I think it's going to be looked at as more of a flash in the pan. I don't think there's anything that Scott Frost can do at this point that will save his job, uh, regardless of what he does. Even if, I mean, he's not going to go and win a national champ, uh, you know, in terms of, in terms of r- realm of reality, you know, he could go and win a national championship, obviously. And, and, his season would be saved or his job would be saved, of course. But in terms of the realm of possibility, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, that's not going to happen. They're not going to go and win a national championship um, based on what we just saw. So I don't think there's really anything that he can do necessarily to kind of save his job, which uh, makes sense. Like I said, then they have not been good and they deserve a lot better than they are. Um, so that was a long winded way of saying Nebraska fans. Hey, I feel for you. Okay. I like Nebraska. I'm an Oklahoma fan. So that rivalry, I respect the hell out of that rivalry. I wasn't alive. I think in the heyday of that rivalry, I was kind of towards the end of the Bo Pelini days when um, 
Nebraska was actually leaving the Big 12. I remember the final game that Oklahoma played Nebraska in when they were both conference uh, conference foes, if you will. Uh, it was in the Big 12 championship game, actually. And uh, I believe Oklahoma won that game. And that was the last game those two played together when they were both in the same conference. Now, Oklahoma played Nebraska last year as like an interconference thing. Um, so they still play each other, obviously. But I remember those. I remember the tail end of those days. And, you know, my dad always tells me about the days of Nebraska versus Oklahoma. There was always something that would be on, you know, ABC or whatever. And, you know, it was usually, a, not usually, but it was a prominent one versus two matchup that you'd see uh, throughout the season. So. I wish Nebraska would get back to those days. It's going to be harder sell than ever, I think, also because of the world that we're living in in terms of um, the NIL deals and stuff like that. I don't know how much you can really sell players on going to play at Nebraska, mainly because of Nebraska as a whole. Not exactly an ideal place if you're a kid. You know, you don't imagine yourself getting paid to go live in Nebraska, I guess is what I'm trying to say. No slander on Nebraska. You know, we all have our own things. I'm not hating on Nebraska, but, you know, you're an 18-year-old kid. What's the one place in the world you want to go live? Oh, or want to go play? Nebraska probably isn't on that list. That's all I'm saying. But neither is Oklahoma. Oklahoma's probably not on that list either. Granted. Fair enough. Um, so, anyways, more coming, you know, we've got more games coming up this weekend. Thursday, again, that's the start of week one, quote-unquote, Central Michigan going on the road to Oklahoma State. This would normally not be a big matchup by any means, but last time Central Michigan played Oklahoma State, they had a huge upset, beat Oklahoma State on the road in Stillwater. That was a big loss for Oklahoma State and kind of not necessarily derailed their season, but that was a big uh, a big gash on their season, the very beginning of the season. Um, I, I believe that was a few years ago, two, three, maybe four years ago or something like that. Um, I remember that pretty clearly, one on a Hail Mary and a lateral, and that was a Pretty cool ending to a game. Um, so that's not normally a huge game. Not normally a big game, nonetheless. But uh, Central Michigan, Oklahoma State looking to get maybe a little bit of revenge, even though it's years down the line now. And then T- and then uh, Friday, September 2nd, we have a couple more like tune-up games. Uh, Western Michigan taking on 15th ranked Michigan State. Um, and a couple others, you know, Temple taking on Duke. Just tune-up games. And then uh, TCU on the road at Colorado. And that one will be at 8 p.m. Mountain Time. It is the two teams' first time ever playing against one another, even though, you know, TCU used to be up in the Mountain West Conference. Colorado, they've never been in the Mountain West Conference, even though that would make a ton of sense. Mountain West, or Colorado's been in the Big 12, of all things, back when they were the Big 8, also the actual Big 12, and then now they're in the Pac-12. But TCU taking on Colorado, that'll be an interesting game, just to see where both teams are at. Good non-conference game, if you will. Uh, Saturday, the big festivities begin. Official Week 1 Saturday. Uh, Colorado State, rivals of the Cowboys, they'll be taking on Michigan. That's a tough game for Colorado State. More than likely a loss, not looking good for them. Uh, They're on the road in that game as well in Ann Arbor, the big house taking on Michigan. That's a very tough matchup. Don't have a lot of hope for Colorado State in that one. Michigan should be good, but who knows? We've seen seen crazy upsets in the big house before. Is Colorado State like Appalachian State back then? I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Back in 2007, Appalachian State beat Michigan. Michigan in the big house. Can Colorado State do it? Maybe, maybe not. I guess we'll find out. Uh, one of the bigger games of the day, big 130 kickoff game, Oregon, 11th ranked Oregon taking on third ranked Georgia. Georgia, the defending national championship uh, champions from a year ago. Are they as good as last year? No, it's going to be basically impossible for them to repeat what they did last year. I don't think they're as good as they were last year. Maybe a little better offensively. They seem to have found their, their quarterback, Stetson Bennett, from the national championship game as kind of their guy going forward. 
Um, and they were kind of just rotating in and out quarterbacks last year, and it really did not matter. It's the first time I think I've ever can remember a team where they're just rotating quarterbacks, and it didn't matter because that's how good Georgia's defense was. It was as good of a defense, I think, the NCAA, or the country has seen since, you know, the early Miami days, the early 2000 Miami days, and even before then. I mean, that Georgia defense last year was unreal. But I think it's a little more open this year. Georgia, not nearly as dominant, I think, defensively as they were last year. Again, it's basically impossible to kind of replicate that, but we'll see. I also think Oregon probably is a little overrated, in my opinion. Uh, 11th reg for Oregon. They lost their coach, uh, Mario Cristobal. He's down in Miami now, and the last two times we saw them, they got destroyed, dismantled by Utah, basically back-to-back. They had a game in between. They played Utah like the third to, or the second to last week of the season, then they played where they lost, um, not just lost, they got dominated in that game, and then they played Oregon State, won that game, and then they played Utah again in the Pac-12 championship and got decimated again in that game, and then they lost their bowl game, but the bowl game, you know, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, they base, they've lost two out of their last three um, actual conference matchups, and they lost their head coach. I think they lost their, uh, their, uh, their O-line coach as well, if I remember correctly, so couple big losses to Oregon. I don't think they're going to be as good personally, um, but they did in kind of a revenge game for Oregon's head coach, even though revenge, I don't know how you, I mean, everybody kind of just throws around revenge game, me included. Um, Dan Lanning, their head football coach for Oregon, was the defensive coordinator for Georgia just this past season. So not necessarily a revenge game, but more like a, hey, look at me now game, I guess is what we'll call it. A hey, look at me now game. That's what we'll call it. Um, for Dan Lanning as he goes back to take on uh, Georgia, his former employer. So we'll see what happens there. Like I said, it's a new coach and everything like that. But the last two times we saw, uh, we saw Oregon, it was pretty abysmal. I, I mean, really, the last three times, other than that Oregon State game, which you know Oregon's kind of beat up on Oregon State a bunch of times just this in, in the past few years. So I don't know how much of a how much of a scale that really is. But getting do- just decimated by Utah. Uh, basically in back-to-back matchups was pretty eye-opening to be honest with you. Um, so we'll see where they're at, um, Georgia, where Georgia's at as well. Um, another couple games going on on Saturday. We've got Cincinnati uh, coming off a playoff year. Didn't play very good in the playoff. I mean, as good as you would expect, I would say, um, in the playoff. But coming off a playoff year, they're going to be taking on Arkansas on the road at Razorback Stadium, uh, Arkansas, 19th ranked. It's good to see Arkansas kind of back into the uh, rankings, I guess. You know, they've had, they'd had a couple years there where they were pretty much, uh, you know, irrelevant in terms of SEC play. Um, but that's a, you know, that's a team that should be the amount of, it's all, I mean, similar to Wyoming, not necessarily, not, not in play or anything like that, but the amount of money that they're getting pumped into that program, they should be better than they were. And hopefully this year, I mean, mean, last year they proved that they, you know, it looks like they'd take a step forward again, if that makes sense. And we'll see if they can kind of, they can kind of improve on that this season. But a tough first matchup, Cincinnati. We'll have to see where Cincinnati's at, 23 rank. uh, They're ranked 23rd, which again, preseason rankings, who really knows anything that's going on. But 23rd ranked, we'll see how good they actually are because they lost a lot of guys on that team from the playoff season just a year ago. But they still have their head coach. We'll see if he can develop a, Another solid team with them. Um, and uh, yeah, that's another good afternoon game as well. Uh, Houston, 24th ranked Houston. They're playing on, they're playing UT, UTSA. Uh, UTSA, one of the 
the Roadrunners. They were one of the more surprising teams last year. They were ranked last year at one point, if I remember correctly. They ran into a, they were undefeated for a decent amount of the season. Uh, they had a very stellar, a very strong offense. We'll see where they are at this year. Uh, they're playing at the Alamo Dome in San Antonio, where UTSA plays. So a road game for Houston. Um, we'll have to see where UTSA plays, or you know how good they are this year. But maybe another surprising team again this year in UTSA. We'll have to see. Um, some other games around here. USC starting off the season, taking on Rice. USC a whole makeover. Everybody knows what happened to USC. New head coach. They got a ton of production from the transfer portal. They stole a lot of people off of my Oklahoma team, and it made me very sad. I had a couple dark days there in the middle of the summer. I guess that was more towards spring, in the middle of the spring. Thank you, Lincoln Riley, making me keep keeping me up at night. But we'll see where USC has. I mean, you know, this is a tune-up game for them. Rice is not. They haven't been a good football program in years. So, you know, USC should win this one handily. Um, but it'll just be interesting to see USC in a new light, new offense, you know, the whole shebang they kind of got over there now. Um, and USC kind of back in the limelight. It feels like they're in the top 25 every single year. And then at least in the past few years, they've been in the top 25 every single year. And then they can just fall out because they play bad. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case, obviously with this year, um, Lincoln Riley, one of the best coaches in the country bar none. Um, so we'll see what happens with USC. This will be the beginning point for them. And yeah, we'll see where they end up for the rest of the season. Uh, a couple other games, not many, uh, a couple notable games, I guess. Utah, 7th-ranked Utah, going on the road at in Gainesville, the Swamp, taking on Florida. That will be an interesting game, a matchup between former two former Urban Meyer schools, if you will. That's what we'll call this, the Urban Meyer school rivalry. Utah taking on Florida. Uh, I think, if I remember reading this right, I think Florida's favored by like three and a half or something like that, which was very surprising to me. I think Utah is good enough to go into the Swamp and beat Florida, in my opinion. I think that's a very, very strong team. They didn't lose a lot of production from last year when they were very good. Pac-12 champions, obviously, we were talking about Oregon, and they dominated that Oregon team uh, two times. And I think that Utah team, for the most part, they kept a lot of assets on that team, and I think they're very good. I know Florida, of course, going into the Swamp, that's a very tough place to play, arguably the hardest place to play in college football. Um, it's a, you know, and you're going down to Florida, which in Florida in the middle of September, not great running around in pads and stuff will be five o'clock. So the afternoon sun might be hitting them right in the right spot. Utah is not the same place. It'll be very humid. It's the middle of September or the beginning of September. Uh, and it'll be hot more than likely. So we'll see Florida can use that to their advantage. They'll have a, a ton of people behind them, obviously in Gainesville. They don't, you know, they don't have empty crowds at the university of Florida, at the Swamp very often. I guess it's called Ben Hill Griffin Stadium now, but everybody knows, it's the, I mean, it's the Swamp. I, who are we kidding? Um, so we'll see what happens there. I like Utah in that game, though. That might be my upset pick of the week, if you will, quote-unquote upset pick of the week, depending on how you look at it. I guess Florida winning that game because they're unranked would be more of an upset, but according to the spread, Utah, I think, winning that game would be an upset. So I think Utah should probably be the favorite in that game, in my personal opinion. They're a good team. You know, It's not like they haven't played at difficult stadiums before they've played in Eugene, you know, uh, you know, they've played another USC or what have you. So it's not like they haven't played at difficult places, but the swamp is, you know, in September is it is a different place. So I understand the odds makers, but maybe a little Utah bet there. Who knows? Seventh ranked Utah taking on Florida. That's at five o'clock. Closing it out here to finish off the day. The biggest game of the day, arguably Hawaii taking on what? No, I'm just kidding. No, (laughs) Uh, Notre Dame going on the road and taking on second ranked Ohio state. 
Uh, Alabama, they're just ahead of them. They're playing at 5.30 as well. They're the first-ranked team over Ohio State. Notre Dame is going on the road, taking on Ohio State. This will be fifth-ranked Notre Dame taking on number two Ohio State. This is a very interesting game. Um, For the most part, I think Notre Dame is kind of, I mean, they're not a question mark. It is Notre Dame. It feels like they're always going to be good. But they also have a new coach coming in, a new head coach coming in, and Marcus Williams, um, or excuse me, Marcus Freeman. I don't know why I said that. But Marcus Freeman coming in as the new head coach for Notre Dame. Uh, last time we saw Notre Dame, remember, they were uh, up heavily in the Fiesta Bowl against uh, Oklahoma State, ninth-ranked no- Oklahoma State at the time. Notre Dame just missed uh, being the final the final pick for the college football playoff. Uh, but they were up 28-7 to over Oklahoma State in the uh, Fiesta Bowl, and they blew a 28-7 to halftime lead, basically. Oklahoma State scored uh, with like 37 seconds left in the second quarter to make it 28-14, but it was basically halftime. It was 28-7 to with a minute 16 left uh, to play in the second quarter, and uh, Oklahoma, or Notre Dame blew it. They only scored seven points in the second half, and uh, Oklahoma State was able to come back and win 37-35. to So that's the last time we saw Notre Dame. You can take that with a grain of salt again. It is a new year, new team, basically, new head. Or I guess Marcus Freeman was the head coach at that time, um, but new team, new recruits, you know, the whole shebang uh, in that sense. But Ohio State, I mean, Ohio State's going to be very good this year, especially on offense. They've got one of the best, uh, the best, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, CJ Stroud. Uh, it's only Ohio State and Notre Dame's first, or excuse me, uh, sixth time meeting each other. Notre, or Ohio State has won every single one of those games going back to 2016 was the last time they played each other. And Ohio State won that game 44-28. to um, And that was when Notre Dame had Brian Kelly as head coach, who just left. And then OSU, Ohio State had Urban Meyer, which we don't talk about him. Um, so, yeah, they've only met four times, or yeah, six times in the past. Last time Notre Dame won was 1936, and it was 7-2, to a great baseball score. Um, so, yeah, last time they played was 2016. Ohio State's won four in a row. This will be their seventh time meeting. A huge game, huge game to start this season for both teams. Um, we'll see where where that ends up. I think Ohio State probably the favorite in that game. There's too many question marks on that Notre Dame team right now. I'd say, um, but Ohio State's coming back with C.J. Stroud, uh, Jackson Smith, and Jigbo, one of the best receivers in the country. That Ohio State offense is going to be a powerhouse all season long, as long as they can keep uh, you know C.J. Stroud healthy at quarterback. He is he's going to be a Heisman favorite for most of the year. He's definitely the, a favorite to start the season, and if he can continue what he did last year, then he's definitely going to be a Heisman favorite um, to end the year as well. So um, we'll see what happens there. I think Ohio State is probably, probably a decent pick there, money line or whatever you want to do. Um, I don't know what the spread is at at this moment, um, but it's obviously going to change by the time we get to Saturday anyways. Um, but Ohio State, I think, is a good money line pick as of right now uh, in that game. So that's Saturday. We have a couple other matchups that come you know, it's their Labor Day. It's Labor Day weekend, so that's kind of the the college football weekend, if you will, because um, the NFL doesn't start till the Sunday after. So there's no NFL this weekend or anything like that. So there's a Sunday game between Florida State and LSU. That's at 5:30, and then Clemson and Georgia Tech play one another on Monday as well. Um, so it's kind of a full jam-packed Florida, or excuse me, Florida. What am I saying? College football weekend throughout the country. It's going to be a blast. I'm doing something very fun. Uh, a couple of me and I don't know how many buddies are mine. At least one shout out Coulter. He's doing it. Um, we'll see. We are uh, going to be betting 
$1 on every single one of these games. So if you want to follow along, feel free. I don't publicly place my bets, but that's what we're going to be doing on basically every one of these games. Now we have a rule. Most, some of these games, you know, like Alabama versus Utah state, I think the money line in that is like minus 25 or two, you know, 2000 plus two uh, Alabama. And in those games, we're betting money line either way or no, excuse me, not money line spread either way. If the money line is like over favors the, the favorite by over 2000 or minus 2000, um, by over that, if that makes sense, then we're going spread either way, if that makes sense. So there's a couple of those games, clearly, you know, Texas versus UL Monroe, the money line's probably heavily favoring Texas there, and so on and so forth. So that's how we're kind of going to, um, you know, gauge it, if you will. Auburn taking on Mercer, we'll probably go spread in that one. So that's how we're doing it. $1 per game, whoever has the most money ending the day is the winner. That's the fun part. It's going to be a decent amount of money, you know, $1 per game. I think there's like 55 games or something like that. So you're putting down 55 bucks, but you do have a chance to win a decent amount of money if, you know, a, a, a smart amount of your bets hit. So that's the plan for us. I'm not going to tell you to go out and bet, but it's kind of a fun little game. Me and my friend are playing, plus whoever else is going to be doing it with us. So I guess I'll have to update you on that. And I will update you on that next week. I'm going to make a note of that. I'm going to update the listeners to what's happening in that I'll let you know if I went positive or not, depending on uh, if, if I actually do go positive or not. So that's what's happening this weekend. College football galore. It's finally back. It feels like it's been forever. Uh, it's been a long spring, long summer, but here we are. It's finally back. And I'm happy. I'm happy as all can be that we can finally say college football is back. Ladies and gentlemen, um, just a couple another news and notes that are going on around the sports world right now. Um, Albert Pujols, he got a 694 last night, uh, last night being Monday. And Aaron Judge also got to 50. We talked about this last week, uh, about both of them chasing pretty key, huge milestones uh, in front of them. Uh, and uh, uh, Albert Pujols just hit a 694th career home run, and he passed Barry Bonds for the uh, most pitchers home, home run off, homered off of. I guess it's his 450th different pitcher that Pujols had gone yard off of, which is the most all time now it surpassed Barry Bonds for all time. So he's chasing 700, six more to go. Uh, and he just passed Barry Bonds for another milestone. So hopefully he gets to 700. That's a quick update on that. And then Aaron judge, he hit his 50th of the season as he tries to get uh two sixty home runs. First time since Barry Bonds did it back in 2004, if I remember correctly. Um, and then uh, he's, he is on pace to hit 63 home runs this year, which would surpass Roger Maris, obviously for the most, by a non-steroid user. I can't believe I have to say that. Um, most in a single season by a non-steroid user. So it's on pace to break that record, quote-unquote, if that's what you want to call it. Um, but at the very least, he is on pace to hit 60 as well. And then another surprising move today. Today was cut day in the NFL. A lot of players got cut. Some big names, some smaller names that we don't really know. But cut day all over the place in the NFL. So there were names that were being thrown all over the place that were like, hey, you don't have a job anymore. And that was happening all throughout the NFL. Um, but one of the surprising, not cuts necessarily, but one of the surprising, uh, one of the surprising deals that happened on the day was Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy G staying with the 49ers on a restructured contract deal, uh, to stay with the 49ers as a backup. He's not coming back as the starter. He's staying as a backup. Uh, his salary this season dropped from 24.2 million to six and a half million fully guaranteed, including incentives to reach as much as $16 million if he ends up, um, becoming the starter getting and getting more playing time, which is interesting to me. I guess the 49ers didn't, they, they didn't have, it, it shows two things to me. One, clearly the, the trade, uh, 
the uh, the trade market was fairly dry for Garoppolo. Clearly, that is part of it. Also, with the amount of money that he had on his contract, nobody's really wanting to 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 put twenty four point two million dollars on their payroll for a guy that's basically average. That's pretty much a backup. I mean, he's probably the best backup in the league, but I think he is a backup. Um, and it also shows to me the I don't want to say the lack of confidence in Trey Lance, but maybe the the hesitation on Trey towards Trey Lance when it comes to the 49ers. They're going to start him. They said they're going to start him. They're going to play him. They're going to send him out there week one. But maybe they still have a little hindrance of uh, hesitation, a little hesitation towards Trey Lance um, when it comes to him starting. So I thought that was interesting. I thought for sure Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo, I didn't think there was any way that we would see him in a 49ers uniform this season. And lo and behold, they restructured the contract and he's back. Um, now, I wouldn't doubt that if Trey Lance is going well, if he is playing, you know, better than Jimmy G can, that better than what Jimmy G can put out there, then I would imagine that they do find a way to trade Jimmy G during the season. There are going to be plenty of, I mean, you know, I, this happens every year. I'm not really dooming anybody, but there are going to be quarterbacks that go down with injury on a good team, and Jimmy G can maybe step in and uh, be the the fitting piece for a, maybe a Super Bowl run. Think. Nick Foles with the Eagles, that sort of thing. That's maybe what everybody's trying to strive for when they're trying to trade for Jimmy G if it's halfway through the season and someone goes down with an injury. Um, that's probably what a lot of people imagine Jimmy G can kind of bring to the table. Um, now, maybe it probably it's not worth $24.2 million, obviously, which is why he hadn't been traded in the first place. Um, but maybe, you know, a $6.5 million, million fully guaranteed contract with $16 million in incentives, maybe that's good enough. Um, but I guess we'll just have to find out. Maybe he stays with the 49ers all season long. Obviously, we've been surprised before. So that's some other news and notes. Not a whole else, uh, not a whole lot else going on. Serena Williams, she won her opening round match in straight sets at the US Open. That was a big deal. It's her last, her final, final US Open, her final open period, it's her final tournament, her final tennis tournament as she begins retirement. And uh she won her opening round match in straight sets. That was on Monday. Um, and we want to see Serena go out as a winner. And I hope she goes out a winner. It'd be super cool if she did. Be a great way to kind of write off the career, if you will. So um, that's the other news and notes that are going around the sports world. But the big thing, college football is back and it's coming Saturday. And I'm excited as all can be. Clearly, let's get college football going, which means it's almost fall. And we can get back to football weather and just football in general. It's football season. August is almost over. August is a dead time for sports, in my opinion. And now we're here. We're finally here. It's September. It's football season, ladies and gentlemen. Get those fantasy drafts going. Get those bets going. Get those parlays going. It's football season. Let's go. That's going to wrap up the show today. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Make sure to rate and subscribe from wherever you're listening. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever it is. Please give me a rating. Please subscribe slash follow the podcast. I'd really appreciate it. You'll know whenever I post basically every Tuesday in the afternoon, Tuesday late evening, early afternoon, if you will. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd appreciate it if you gave me a follow and a uh, rating. And uh, thank you very much for tuning in. I have been your host, James Timberlake, and you have been listening to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast.